Highway Sergeant Highway. And I've drunk more beer and pissed more blood and banged more quiff, busted more... <laughs> all you numbnuts put together. Tonight, if you will sleep with your rifle, you will give your rifle a girl's name. Because this is the only pussy you people are going to get. This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. We are the masters of our enemy. We are the saviors of my life. So be it, until there is no enemy. But peace. Amen. The military-industrial complex doesn't care about us. We need to stop sending our children to war and dying for the bankers and elites. The medical-industrial complex does not care about us. They need us sick and weak so we can be patients for life. Stop taking their poison. The education system is merely an indoctrination program designed to supply the elites with obedient workers and turn over as much profit as possible at our expense. Let's turn off the television. Put down the phone. Let's take our country back. Thanks for being one of us. You are listening to the Conspiracy Soldiers Podcast. What's up, everybody? So I interviewed this dude. He uh, he said that he interviewed Stanley Kubrick a few days before he died, and he had a video of it. The shit looked real as fuck to me. I know there's deep fake out there and all that, but the audio sucked. This guy had. I don't know. He was. He, I don't think he really understands what a podcast is. So, like, when he joined the Zoom meeting, he was on his phone, and it was a really bad connection. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there anyway because he gave me permission to put these uh, clips from his video and stuff. This is gonna be a shitty episode. The audio is terrible, but. That probably ain't the worst one I've ever had, so fuck it. everybody welcome to conspiracy soldiers podcast i'm here with t patrick murray he's a filmmaker but uh you know more about it than me why don't you tell everybody about yourself okay um basically i am uh, an independent uh, filmmaker um I, I'm, I went to the university of pennsylvania and then nyu film school I won a Student Academy Award there, which is like an Oscar for student films administered by the Oscar Committee. That was, that was a nice award when I was young. And basically, I, um, in my 20s, I uh, bought a 35 millimeter camera because to make a movie, 
I don't know how much people know about it, but there are many ways to shoot something, ranging from video to film. And, and film, there's different levels. The highest level of quality is 35 millimeters. Problem is, it costs a hell of a lot of money. And uh, I was able to save and work and get a 50-year-old 35 millimeter camera which works as well as a Panavision stuff. Make a long story short, I made a film with it, and I started to see, and I'll just, 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 just like a 30-second speech about filmmaking. I saw that the future, and this is early um, 2000, this is late 90s. I saw that everything was changing with film, and there was a way uh, for people as technology increased and improved, to get their hands on cameras or, or other technologies that emulated the film look, which allows for ordinary people without a huge budget to attempt to make a film that looks like a real film. Because I don't care how good the dialogue or acting or whatever it is, if it looks like it was shot you know, with a, a VHS camera, it's just not going to be watchable. So the point is that I saw that in the future. The good news is we've arrived and the future exists. We have cameras in our phones that are 4K and have incredible range of capacity, um, better than cameras that, that cost $5,000, really. Um, and I bought all those cameras and all of them are, are, are obsolete. So let's get to the, the Kubrick thing. So I'm in the 90s. I'm, I'm seeing the technology change. I know that I have now the, the means to make a film that will look, I think, good, and I'll be able to do it money-wise. And um, as a conspiracy theorist, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that, um, and I define conspiracy theorists as somebody who does not take at face value anything that happens in the world. Exactly, um, exactly. Who, that's what I define as a conspiracy is someone that believes in every conspiracy or thinks everything is a conspiracy. That's where you get into the nutty part of all this. To me, you know, for example, the fact that we're not talking about 9-11 all the time as countries, um, is crazy to me, you know, for that's yeah. an example, you know, because certainly, you know, they didn't test them on day one the way that they conveyed, you know, they did. And building seven did all. So I, I saw that the world's a lie, and I, and you probably knew that, and I, when I, when I found out, you know, when you were young and coming of age. So, as a conspiracy theorist, I looked at all the conspiracies that exist and which ones in. And one thing that interests me throughout my life, because um, I used to be kind of, I'm kind of a geek, you know, in terms of certain things, and I was always fascinated by the moon landing. And as I researched more, as the internet developed and I had more access to research, I really, you know, I don't know where you stand on it, but I really, I still became an expert on how ridiculous the notion is that we went there with the limit 
and problems and uh, technological issues that existed. Um, and the idea that they did it flawlessly except for 13 um, is, you know, in terms of Vegas, the odds of that are ridiculous. And, 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 and it's almost a selfish intelligence. Right. There's no way that that occurs with that spaceship. Um, you mean the tin can? With those space suits. Sorry? You mean the tin can they called a spaceship? It was it, it was absurd. It, it's an absurd piece of work. It looks like an straight science project. And <laughs> it is this kind of segues into what we're going to talk about tonight, which is that not only do we not go, that's, that's one of the belief systems. I, I don't think we went to the moon. And I think it's about 60% of, of America that thinks that. I believe that's a low number. I believe that's because people don't know about it. The, 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 the moon uh, uh, issue is not simple. It, it requires, it's, a, it's not a long story, but you have to understand the Cold War. You have to understand the problems of physics, you have to understand a little bit about why it was impossible. Instead of just saying we went or we didn't go, it's good to get um, the reason why that belief system evolved. So I did that, I became a real Isaac expert on it, and I came to the conclusion that it was filmed. And if it was filmed, then it's it, I didn't invent the notion or, or the theory, but I had heard, you know, Stanley Kubrick was the guy that filmed it. So I went down that path, and I said, you know, could that be possible? And it, of course, made total sense, you know, after 2001, and uh, it became obvious that if they did do that, they would pick this guy to do it. and. Really, you jump ahead a bit in his life and you say, this guy in cinematic history, while immensely talented, let's just step back for a second, he was an immensely talented guy, but he wasn't, you know, the Jesus Christ of cinema. And yet he enjoyed a situation after that time period where he had no interference with studio uh, executives. He had no limits on time and shoot. I mean, he spent 400 days straight shooting eyes white shut. So he had this like unlimited budget, unlimited power, and that's not done in Hollywood. Even if you're the man and he's a brilliant genius, everybody thinks you are, it's still a quite rare, unique situation. Scorsese, uh, you know, other great filmmakers don't don't have it, and and it was unique to him. I believe that that was the deal made that they said, okay, if you do this for us, you can make any movie you want the rest of your life, and we'll take care of you, and we'll protect you, and you know, we'll we'll be your studio if you do this for us. And I think Stan okay. saying that that's a heck of a good deal. T. Um, sure, you know. And before you go on, 
T. Yeah. Before you go on, you got to remember, I know what you're talking about, but the audience doesn't know what you're talking about. When you say they, who are you talking about? When they approached him. What did I say before that? You started talking about the opportunity they presented him, but who who was it? NASA or the government? Thank you. He met, I believe that he met with Kissinger, Rumsfeld, and Nixon um, around 67 uh, because I think in 67 that was when they realized they could not pull it off. I mean, this, of all the conspiracies, believe it or not, this is the least nefarious and the least kind of evil, I believe. These people were trying to get to the moon. It was an earnest attempt. All of it was real. And they, I think in 67, they realized that landing was just going to be impossible. Yeah, I think they had the launch uh, pretty much tied up and set. But it was too hard to get. I mean, the maneuvers they had to do were, were just not. They hadn't been practiced or even some done before that happened. There were just too many unknowns. And so when I say they, I mean the government. I mean the president. I mean, and I'll say this later um, in, in the show, but, <laughs> you know, I, I would go so far as to connect Watergate to the moon landing hoax, meaning... I believe he went to the DNC and broke in because he was a paranoid man. He thought he was caught for the $23 billion that was spent on nothing. So in other words, I feel like he, as he was trying to get reelected, he wanted to make sure he was not, they didn't have dirt on him. And, and that was what they were looking for, which is a little more important than what they stated they were, were looking for. And so I think that's a very funny notion, it's true, this notion that the cover-up, the 18 minutes of tape missing from his reporting, um, there's a lot of elements that suggest that maybe this was part of either being blackmailed or simply being caught by his political opponents and being told, hey, we tell the world about this and you're going to be so embarrassed for having done it, or you can resign. And I believe that that's possible, because it is fit. And then that right after he, you know, uh, resigns, there's no more moon launch. So, so I think there's a possible connection there. Um, the final thing I want to say is this. So at the whole space race was an ego contest. It was like who whip it out and who's bigger. It was a, a very masculine, very ego-driven, very kind of silly um, competition to get there. Uh, and my, my thing is this, you know, after Apollo 1 tragedy where Gus Grissom and the other two astronauts died in a horrible fire on the launch pad, once that happened, um, and then, of course, there, there were lots of other things during practice. I mean, Neil Armstrong almost died, and he was trying to land. He ejected his last man. 
there was just so many things that were not going right that the question in the White House, I believe, became this. Okay, so we're competing with the Russians to go. We have two choices. We go, we take our chances of being successful or not, and hopefully we're successful. And it's that simple. And if we are, God bless us, we did it. And there's a the mathematical chance, by the way, that NASA computed of the chance of success in terms of going up, landing, and coming back, was literally computed to be 1% in terms of all of the variables. So, so you're looking at a situation where you have A, let's send three boys up into the sky with a 1% chance of success and see what happens. If they die, you're embarrassed for the rest of your life because every time you look at the moon, you know they're dead. And it's a very, very touchy situation. Whereas if you fake it, here's what happens. No astronauts die. You have a 100% chance of success because you're controlling the narrative with your fakery. You obtain the political capital that you were seeking with the world for having done it. And what a reasonable person, and I, I say this even to you, what reasonable person would risk the life of anybody to do X or Y or Z, something important, when you're showing a way to do it where no one gets hurt and it's an illusion? And, and, and again, there may be a morality argument there uh, about lying to people and all that. But to me, it was a good lie. It was a lie that was worth making. And that's kind of maybe a crazy thing to say. But if I was Nixon, I think I would go with faking it. Um, yeah, I want to control my political destiny, but I also just don't want to be the guy that, you know, left two bodies on the moon. And, you know, the, 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 the financing would dry up from Congress. So I believe those are all the reasons they said to Kubrick, Let's do this. Let's take the 2001 notion and the things you learned there, and let's shoot this thing. And the ironic thing, this is the last part I'll say, and then I'll let, I'm sorry for monopolizing. The no, you're fine, man. When Kubrick went through this, one thing I think he had a problem with was the fact that for half of, let's say half of the mm, uh, expedition, we'll call it, at the Endeavor, uh, they had to use 10 frames a second video cameras attached to the lem, you know, the lunar the lunar lander. So when he came down the, 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 the um, ladder, he said he was blind, Neil Armstrong, um, largely we were watching the most horrible grainy footage known to man, which I would have Okay. Um, after this is the part, uh, I forget what I was saying. Um, You're talking about uh, the boom arm, the boom arm on the on the air, the spacecraft. Oh, oh yeah, so you have all these bad cameras, and the, one of the greatest filmmaker on Earth is now forced to use the cameras because you know why? 
I don't know, and please write this down on the side of research. Radio signals, it's widely known, can't go further than 50 miles, 100 at the most. It's why when you drive in the car, you'll listen to your station and then you drive farther and then you lose it, right? Yeah. Because there's limited range for, for a radio. Uh, the notion that they, <laughs> I'm sorry, the notion that they communicated a quarter million miles with very modest dishes and technology, and they had, if you listen, there's no pauses. There should be seven, eight-second pauses between everything because of the time to travel and sound. Right. But it sounds like they're talking in the same damn room. And again, I think it was a detail overlooked um, uh, because it's a ridiculous notion, I believe, that they even got live, quote-unquote, imagery. So all that, I believe, was done on a soundstage because it, they realized not only is it impossible possibly to land on the moon, it's impossible to show it as a TV show, which is our whole, whole objective. In other words, they didn't want the newspapers announcing it. They wanted the human race and all the political enemies and allies to see the damn landing happen. And that was, in a way, um, an act of war, not a hostile act of war, an act of war saying, we're upward, you know, in our chest and saying we're the best. And that's, to me, the motive for why they did it and it's a movie that makes sense over and over. Uh, so that's how I'll wrap up why I got interested in what I did and what my perception was about what happened. Okay. So, Explain. So I'm sorry for me not watching. You hear me? Ex yeah, I can hear you. Explain the, uh, when, uh, Stanley Kubrick reached out to you. How did that happen? What explain okay. the timeline? Here's where it gets tricky in terms of this interview. Okay, let me explain why. All right. Um. You, I'm not sure if you, you are you aware of like the the word or the meaning of. The, the, of the word meta, not not Facebook meta, but in a filmmaking story sense, when someone says something's meta, have you ever heard that or you know what that means? No, I'm not familiar. Okay, let me explain. Meta, do you ever watch Family Guy, for example? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I love that. I don't know if you like it. I don't, I I. I've seen clips that I like, but I don't watch a lot of TV. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of it. Anyway. Meta is this. Meta is when you're doing a work of art, whatever it is. Okay, let's say Romeo and Juliet. And if you were to rewrite it to be a meta type of story, what that means is that there are parts of the story that refer to the story they're telling. 
means they're sort of pulling out a character for a moment to make a joke that refers to what's going on in the story, and then they kind of go back to the normal tone. So meta is like a commentary level that can be very funny if it's done well, uh, because you're talking about, you're, you're making a commentary about what you just talked about, whether it's making fun of it, whether it's enhancing the point. Meta is simply a, a, a kind of an advanced storytelling technique to um, make the audience, a, I'll give you the best example. Have you seen the fourth time where it's about abductions and UFOs? No. Hello? I'm here. Are you in UFOs? Yeah, no, I didn't see that movie. You froze no, up there. Are you into UFOs? Somewhat. Okay, here's my point. You gotta see that. I'm, I'm serious. Because it's one of the great movies. Forget the UFO thing. It's about abduction and, and, and alien abduction and all that. Which is not, by the way, something I'm interested in really. But they made a film that was based on a true story and they intercut real footage with movie footage, okay? So it went back and forth and back and forth. So you saw the real victims under hypnosis and then you cut to the actor playing that person and it kept going back and forth and you didn't know what the heck was real and not and it really worked, you understand? Yes. It was a very effective way to tell the story. Okay. So if I tell you all that, here's what I have to say about the Kubrick example. Um, I released 40 minutes of it in 2015, which is what you've seen um, and other people have seen. And that was, the reason I did that was um, I wanted to just get a, a sense and a vibe of the reaction to the first 40 minutes. And I found that people loved or hated the way I edited it, um, not knowing that I was attempting to edit it in a, Kubrick, in a Kubrickian way, uh, sort of like 2001. And uh, I, you know, that was my attempt to make a, a frenetic, uh, sort of, um, you know, just an artsy edit. I didn't want a boring, uh, you know, just talking ahead the whole time. That's my defense for how I did it. So people like if you like it, people didn't like it, whatever. Right. But what I'm saying so is how... last year, I've endeavored to retake all the footage that I have and to recut it into a piece of film. Now... Your question was, oh, how did it, how did it go with meeting, you know, Kubrick and all that? And my answer is the following. This film will be done, honestly, in about a week in terms of the two-hour cut, okay? And if you want, this is up to you, I'm willing, if you're willing, to come back after it's released 
after we announce it to your audience, a free link, and to you, and people watch that, because without watching the full film, there are elements that are very important that are missing. For example, the, the film was called Cheating Stanley Kubrick. Um, it's now been changed to Killing Kubrick, okay? Uh, because there's more emphasis placed on the notion and theory that he was killed for very specific reasons. Having to do with eyes wide shut, um, and, you know, the fact that he was getting a little bit too mouthy about what happened. He was getting old, and I think he just wanted to just talk about it with anybody. Um, but I'm not trying to disappoint at, during this interview, I, and there's questions I can't answer, but I'm saying to you, the two-hour cut, for anyone interested in the moon landing, for anyone interested in this theory about Kubrick, it's going to be worth watching, and afterwards, I can't answer anything, because the meta level will be observed, the jokes will be observed, the theories that are kind of new are observed, for example, the, the, the missing case for, for Nixon, um, uh, the, what, what was on the 24 minutes of, eight, of film, rather, for Eyes Like Shut, which is why he was killed. He wouldn't cut this stuff from the orgy party. There's 24 more minutes of the orgy party. And, uh, you know, not, not that I show that explicitly, but there is more explanation as to how he got in trouble at the end. And, and it's, it ends the film. It ties it all up. So I'm comfortable, more comfortable, saying, in a week, here's the link, watch the movie, schedule me for your best time within the week after, and let's talk about it from A to Z because I finally finished the film after damn near however many years. So that's, to me, what I'd rather do. It, because a lot of the answers, like this what you asked, well, how did you talk to Kubrick? That's in the new cut. And a lot of things that were on the cutting room floor, because I only have 40 names to work with, uh, are inserted. And uh, so I'm just simply saying that we can talk about the... To do in the movie, discuss, quote, or points of view he had, I have no problem talking about that. Okay. But hey, T. Analyzing the film, I asked for four weeks. You hear me? And to, to be on again, I think that I'm prepared, but it's the best move for your audience. Okay. I got a question. Alright. Would you mind if I played couple short clips not right now not right now but after we're done i'm gonna attach it to the episode a few short clips of the 40 minute episode to interest them sure. okay yeah all right now i'm running out of, i'm running out of time i'm running out of time here that you let your audience know that 
full features is on the way, and that will fill the gaps, answer the questions. I think more flesh out the whole story much better than my first attempt. That's and what that's I'm. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Like, do you have a website or? Yeah. Okay. Um, the way I'm going to, uh, to do it is, I'm going to show it on uh, a website I have called thestreamnetwork.com, um, and that's going to be it. You can write it down right now. The it's actually HTTP, not S. HTTP colon backslash backslash the stream network.com s-t-r-e-a-m 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 s
the government was out to get them. And I'm not saying you think that, do you? I mean, the government obviously no, said they'll kill you. I mean, obviously, the government said we'll kill you if, if you say anything. I mean, that, that's a standard top secret sort of penalty. It's but, understood, even if it's not said. Right. But they did say it to you, I presume. They, they, they did. I mean, the, yes, the government, yes, they, 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 they said basically, so it was. They wasn't. might be cute about it, but yeah, it was said in no uncertain terms. So why are you, so this one just can't just get you killed? Well, that's why I'm uh, delaying it. Okay, the 15 years thing. This is not going to be seen okay, until for another 15 years 15 after your death. Well, no, that's if you die tomorrow. You're not going to die tomorrow, clearly. Okay, try again, try again. Okay, it's okay. This so why, do you, you could get killed by doing this. This could kill you. Why are you doing this? It's well, this is not going to be seen until oh, cause of our 15 years after my so death. So now, I, that's why you have you sign the NDA and all these, okay. That's right. All right, well, that makes sense now. Okay, I understand yeah. that now. All right. It should be known, but I want there to be some kind of cushion for my family, uh, 15 years seems like a good number. Okay, all right. After my death, 15 years after my death. But, okay, so let's take a step back. You're making this tape out of an effect Neil had on you? I mean, Armstrong sort of influenced you? Pretty much. Um, sometimes it just takes a catalyst. I mean, you know, somewhere inside you, you know what's right. Right. I mean, I, I went for years just thinking I was doing the right thing, just, just through my art. You know, and then something comes along that uh, you don't even recognize as a temptation because you're so swept away by your own ego. Uh, it took someone like Neil Armstrong and distance and time to hammer into me what this really meant about society, about myself, about the human condition, which is what I'm about. Alright, so that was it. I told you the audio was pretty shitty. But uh, at least, I don't know how, how good them clips came through either. I'm going to have to fucking look at that. But uh, Another shitty episode with bad audio. So it's just me now. The horseman's missing in action. I got a couple other people that want to come on to help, but we'll see what happens. All right, people, thank you. Thanks for listening.